Hey there, Ralph Garman here. Thanks so much for checking out this free Monday edition of The Ralph Report. If you like what you hear, do me a favor. Subscribe to The Ralph Report so we can put some fun in your ears five days a week. And we're not just here on Mondays. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. And you can listen for as little as $3 a month. So subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up. Welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. It's Ralph here. Happy Labor Day. No full show today. I hope you have the day off. The folks who put The Ralph Report together, we're taking the day off. But I wanted to give you a little something today. The interview I did with Rob Paulson is just too good and too big to keep to myself. So I'm going to give you a little tease, a little taster on this holiday edition of The Ralph Report, 20 minutes of my conversation with Rob before we even launched into his career. We talked about a great many things, hockey, football, music and lyrics, family, and that was before we even started talking about his amazing career as a voiceover artist. And I have to say, frankly, I think this may be one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. So enjoy this, the beginning of my interview with Rob Paulson. Well, this is a, a, a pleasure. It's hard to describe how lucky I am today to be <laughs> sitting. Kind of like having a root canal. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> to be sitting across from this gentleman who is really, I, and I'm not going out on a limb by saying legend. I don't get a chance to interview too many legends, but Rob Paulson is with us this week and he is... Well, I mean, as we get into his career, you're going to see that he is the voice of some of your all-time favorite characters. He is, um, well, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you, Ralph. I'm having a hard time finding words. Bless your heart. It is utterly my pleasure, and uh, and that is also not uh, hyperbole. I'm very grateful to be here. It is a mutual admiration society. We were talking just before we started recording that uh, <clears throat> we have known each other's work for some time, but never met face to face really until this moment. Right. And I uh, remember my my producer on my podcast uh, what, called me and said, hey, Ralph, get a plug in. Uh, Talking Tunes. Oh, it's get called Talking Tunes, yeah. right? It's on the Nerdist Network and Nerdist Channel, some video podcast for which uh, Mr. Garman is going to lower his standards and appear. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they were, everybody there at Nerdist was like, dude, Ralph Garman's going to be on. I said, yeah, oh my God, this is so great. So it it really is a mutual admiration society. I listened to you forever on the radio out here. By the way, were you syndicated nationally too, or was it just- For like a minute, they tried to to put the Kevin and Bean show on around the country and it never quite took off. So it was sort of a failed experiment. Well, then you're, you're an LA staple. Yeah, exactly. About a generation- yeah, almost. And, and we were talking a bit earlier about radio. And honestly, it, baseball managers and radio personalities are essentially hired to be fired. And <laughs> they, they really are. That is the tough in, in the, in the, in the pantheon of showbiz gigs. I would say that radio, unless you're Howard, right. really yeah. is about the toughest gig in the world. And a lot of guys and girls live from book to book to book to book to book. The fact that you had 20, almost 20 years. Yeah. That's insane. And what's even crazier is I'd never had any intention of working in radio. Is that right? I was an actor and, and a comedian and I just kind of fell into it as sort of just, I was bar, I was bartending at the time and this was a little step closer to what I wanted to do than (laughs) bartending. So I took the gig and it, and it became a career somehow inexplicably. My first radio job and likely my last radio job was, that was it. So. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite the experience, but we were talking about 
how 18 years of a steady paycheck is almost unheard of in this business and it what it's like now. Uh, we're just talking about how we have to hustle now. Yeah, and it, and the the thing is, it's a double edged sword, as you know. It's a, it's it's kind of seductive. Um, I've had these a number of epiphanal moments in my career. I've been in LA for forty years this year, wow. and I remember uh, the good news when I signed with my agent, my first agent, uh, a year after I'd been here. They they I came to LA ostensibly to do live action, and that's what I was doing, you know. But you find out pretty quickly that they're you want to be an actor, right? Yeah, yeah, and I came out. I was a theater guy and a music a singer and i came out here to uh, improv came out here to do all that live action stuff and i was but one of the things you find out pretty quickly as you know is you go to an audition and there is a zillion average looking white kids from flint yeah. or wherever <laughs> right and uh one of whom was me so i get signed to this agency and they send me out i get the first thing they send me on i nail it it's five jack-in-the-box commercials on camera i got my sag card my after card all that's great and you're thinking how easy is this job Bingo. <laughs> and I keep looking over my shoulder going, well, so much for the starving artist routine. Right. Uh, that's and for then, suckers. Yeah. That's, yeah, you <laughs> idiot. And so I started, they started airing and I went to my check and, you know, you open the, the I mean, you went to the mailbox, you open up the mailbox and the angels sing and you pull out this thing called a residual check. Yeah. And it was the best thing and the worst thing that happened to me because I was 23. And I thought, oh man. This is great. Then you know what happened, Ralph? It's fascinating. I, I immediately became relatively seduced by what appeared to be easy money. And so instead of concentrating on doing my best performance and whatever God-given talent I had in that five-minute space that a casting director would see me, mm -hmm. I was putting the cart way before the horse starting to go, oh my God, if I get more of these... I am going to be shitting in high cotton, man. I am going to be able to get that 9-11 way quicker than I thought. Yeah. This is great. And I and all of a sudden, my auditions went right down the flusher because I was so concerned about the money. Yep. And Once you start chasing the buck, you're exactly. screwed. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then the same thing happened later on in my career, uh, kind of like we were just talking about, my you know, child and a couple of mortgages and all that stuff. And things went south for a while like they do for everybody. Yep. Whether you get fired from your radio gig or things just dry up, not personal, it's showbiz. And I, same thing, I got so freaked out about the money that I had to re, not reinvent, but remind myself what it was about this business that made me want to pack up my Honda at 22 years old and drive out here. And you know what the truth is? Now I'm 62 and the same Jones that got me out here all those years ago has not changed. I lose sight of it sometimes. Yeah. I think we all do. Yeah, I think you're right. Because life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. And it is scary. Um, but the truth is, at my age, if I were in corporate America, dude, I'd have been out of a job eight years ago. I would have been downsized. Uh, hey, Rob, you know, you're making a nice six-figure salary. We're looking for his kids. This kid just came out of Harvard Business School. and He'll do the same job as you for a third of the money. Right. Yeah. And, hey, I'm a capitalist. I get it. But- this business is um, still to me, as I get older, and I'm so grateful that I've had this experience, that it is still about the joy of doing it. I love this work so much. Meeting new friends like you, working with old friends whom I've known for the whole time I've been here. And man, at the end, as they say, at the end of the day, um, at the end of any day, when you can go to bed and go, I 
got to do something today for American dollars, which I would have essentially done for free. Right. With people I would choose to have at my home. And they happen to be the most talented freaking people in the universe. And they're utterly devoid of pretense. What better gig could you have? Right. Where does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the magic, too, of being uh, as good as you are in the world of audio entertainment, voice entertainment, oh, it, using, <clears throat> using you know, theater of the mind, whether you're doing animation or advertising or podcasting or radio, the longevity that you can get out of that. Totally is better, I think, than almost any other gig in show business. I think you're right. Um, it's not too dissimilar to radio. You don't uh, age out as quickly as some people do in front of the camera or yeah. what have you. And yeah. nobody cares what I look like. Nobody yeah. cared. Uh, when I, As I said, I was doing uh, episodic television, a lot of commercials on camera. And in the mid-80s, my agent said, have you ever thought about doing animation? I said, well, sure. But remember, in those days, it was when I got here, it was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Um Saturday morning. Yep. And there were literally a handful of people who who did most of it, and I knew they had them all. it locked up too. Of it was course, hard to get in. Paul Fries and Jay Ward and um, uh, June Foray and Penny Singleton and Don Messick and and Dawes Butler and Mel Blanc, all those people, all the heroes, Jonathan Witters, a lot of them. And then all of a sudden things changed, and it started opening up, and and uh, companies began producing action figures and and cartoons to go with them, which <laughs> yeah. were essentially half hour commercials to sell action figures. So right. I said, of course I'd love to audition. My heroes when I was a kid were Peter Sellers and Red Skelton and Jonathan Winters and Carol Burnett and all these people who did marvelous character stuff, and um, so I started getting these gigs, and the first ones I got were GI Joe and Transformers. But man, I walked into the room and there's Peter Cullen and Frank Welker and uh, um, some of the people we just mentioned. And I thought, this is the gig. Nobody gives a shit what I look like. Yeah. At 20 or at 27 or 28. You now, can play anybody. I can play. I'm really literally only limited by the largesse of the people who hire me and my talent right. or my ability to be creative. And it turns out the same thing is true now. Mel Blanc worked till he was 82, June Foray till she was 90. Yeah. And to this day, man, I just finished my second five-year run as a different Ninja Turtle, <laughs> and I got the gig at 55 years old. And I was almost a victim of my own ageism. I couldn't believe that they'd want to talk to me, and it turned out that the people who were creating this new iteration of Turtles grew up watching the original one. So they were like, okay, I don't know if he's interested, but you think that guy Rob Paulson would come in and read for a different turtle? And of course I will. And I got the job. So I'm constantly learning. And exactly what you said is the beauty of this gig. Yeah. No one cares what you look like. And um, I must say it's it's even better for women because one of the things that's so disturbing to me is I've actually heard producers talk about when I was doing a, a movie talking about a particular actress they wanted to hire, and the and the, the phrase was something like, you know, she's really great, but she's going to be 32. And I heard that, and I thought, my God. If, Can you if, imagine? Uh, no, no. And yeah. uh, so now I work with Tress McNeil and Lorraine Newman and and uh, all these incredibly gifted actors, Nancy Cartwright, uh, Kathy Najimy, all these people, and they wouldn't mind telling, they're way past 50 doesn't matter. Yep. And they're killing it. And they've never been more relevant. They make a shit ton of dough. <laughs> and they do characters that bring so much joy to so many people. Tress has done over 600 Simpsons alone, let alone all the 
Animaniacs and Tiny mm. Toons and all that other stuff. So, yeah, man, it is the gig. And I am so grateful that my ego was able to say, I don't care if nobody knows who I am. Um, it's honestly come a bit full circle. Nice folks like you. Um, these events that you and I are going to uh, go to where people do come up and say, I finally realized who you were and I, I you're the voice of my childhood. How, I what a, what a compliment. I think voice actors get more love and attention now than ever in the history of the ever. industry. And as a result of this podcast, social media. And the internet, too, I and think, the has internet, done that. Right. Because you can you, look it up now and say, totally. who was the voice who of Donatello? Yeah. You know, and, and then you and, can find well, out. T- great example, Jim Cummings. Um, I just I, saw, by the way, Christopher Robin not too long ago. How? He should be nominated for an award for that performance. So glad you brought that up. I was moved. To, I'm getting choked oh, up no. thinking about it now. I cried for about... Two hours during the film right. and about three hours after. Let me tell you, uh, I've known Jimmy for 30 years. We've done so much work together. Another one of those examples, a personal friend you hang out with who's been to your house and just the greatest guy. Well, I told him when he was on my show a while back and I said, Jimmy, you're going to hear it here first. I saw some clips of Christopher Robin, and I know that there are categories for best animated feature in the, the Oscars, but if they ever do, an, I mean, or they might even say, hey, man, this guy's performance transcends the video part of it or the yeah. visual part of it. Yeah. I'll be damned. Last month, there was an article in uh, Vanity Fair, no less, and the caption or the, the, the title of the article was, there's a, an Oscar-winning performance in Christopher Robin and respectfully, it's not Ewan McGregor. And it was about <laughs> Jimmy. And that is exactly what we're talking about. Because those performances, have it really transcends the visual. Yeah. Um, Jimmy is not only Winnie the Pooh, he's Tigger. He's the Tasmanian devil. He's Darkwing Duck. And that's the magic. When you say, holy shit, this guy that can elicit tears with this, oh, bother. And you can also, that's the magic, (laughs) you know? And so, uh, yeah, things have changed a lot. And I'm really grateful to be here to see it happen. Uh, Obviously, it's incredibly flattering if anybody pays attention to me. But moreover, it's great to see the people who do this work getting the uh, this credit. Um, And uh, you've probably seen it too. When when you're in a a studio with all the usual suspects, like, because I know you do a lot of animation, if you're working at on the Simpsons or family guy or whatever. And then a celebrity talent walks in and Hank Azaria starts riffing or, or uh, um, Danny Castellano starts riffing or Billy West starts riffing. You can see the celebrity, the blood drains out of their face. Cause they're going, dude, I, I don't do that. I'm well, out of my league. That's right. Well, yeah. we didn't hire you to do that, but that's the magic of what those people do. And they're utterly unselfconscious in the best way. They don't care about how they look. It's what they can, you know, come up with. You mentioned uh, your childhood heroes, Sellers and Cal Burnett and those folks. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's start in Detroit, Michigan. That's where yeah. you were born, right? Home of Aretha Franklin, God rest yeah, her soul. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob is a, a diehard uh, Red Wings fan, but I let him in my house anyway, regardless of that fan? fact. Uh, no, Philadelphia Oh, Flyers. Philly. Oh, that's right. We talked about... Oh, I can. Okay, great. We did mention yeah. that. And you're, you're wearing a Lions hat in here. You're breaking all the rules, but I'm going to By the way, you. congratulations to Thank your Eagles. Thank you so much. You, yes. If you're talking about a long-suffering football fan, <laughs> That's Jesus. true. You know what it's like. Oh, man. 
<clears throat> what was it like in Detroit coming up? Did you always know that you wanted to be in show business? Were you always one of those kids who was putting on shows for family when they come over for Thanksgiving? Yeah. I mean, were you were you always on that path? I, I was. I have to say the only other thing I wanted to be was a hockey player. Oh, well, and sure. I, I played hockey my whole life. I still go bang around with my buddies. but Do you still play hockey? I do. Every now and then I go out there and, and I have some... I think, in fact, when we exchanged emails, I told you I got some great stories about some Philly. Uh, you dropped some classic yeah. flyer names, yeah, Reggie yeah. Leach and oh the, man, uh, Dave the Hammer Schultz, Dave Schultz, Billy Barber, Hound Dog Kelly. Those are the oh, you know, heroes of my childhood. Yeah, Reggie Leach. Um, so anyway, what I, I really I played hockey my whole young life. I had the opportunity to possibly play in college, and I thought, okay, I'm going to play hockey for a living. Well. I was good what enough. What position were you? I was a left winger. Yeah. Or left out, probably. But uh, <laughs> I was a left winger forward, and I uh, I had the opportunity to, to uh, play in college if I could make the team. I was not. It was like, okay, come on out. You're good enough to skate with us. See what you got. And five minutes, five minutes, Ralph, uh, some kid, I was told, from Winnipeg, just absolutely freaking drilled me. And it was totally legal and clean, and I, and I came to and realized... I'm done. I can't do this. There's no way. If this is this is college mm -hmm. and this guy's good and, and yet he's out here trying to do the same thing I'm doing, I I I, I really right. it's self preservation. I love the game too much for for me to take it seriously enough to try to do this any further. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. The only other thing that really floated my boat was performing. I was a singer first. And um, now as an older person, I realize how fortunate I was to know very young what it was that really fueled my passion. It wasn't necessarily a popular decision with respect to my parents, mm -hmm. I'm the oldest child. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to do that. And so all of my heroes were people we mentioned earlier, um, you know, Johnny Carson, Red Skelton, all those, Rodney Dangerfield, all those guys. But acting wise, the typical, you know, the usual suspects. I mean, I, I loved all the classic folks and uh, Alec Guinness and Jack Hawkins and uh, Peter Sellers again. Um, uh, a lot of Brits in your uh, I love the wish Brits. list. And, and they really, really influenced me. The Pythons, the Goons. Sure. Um, really remarkable humor, which, which uh, every yeah. time For I. For those think, listening, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Goons, uh, this is. This was Peter Sellers before he broke out with Pink Panther and all that stuff, and Spike Milligan, and yeah, these guys Harry were Seacom. just geniuses. Uh, a lot of radio work they did in England and uh, some television work, but yeah. do a do a deep dive because you'll be glad you found those guys. Remarkable, Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, all those guys. Pete and Dud, yeah, sure. yeah. And um, anyway, so those guys were very influential. Uh, and same thing, you know, a pop culture junkie. When I was a kid and I'd stay home sick, my mother would buy me. Uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland and Mad Magazine, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I was always into that. And um, I uh, spent a couple of years doing itinerant theater work. Um, you say you started as a singer, though, right? I did. I started and, and did a lot of music in Detroit. And I, I think there's something in the water there because I feel so grateful to have been uh, a kid growing up listening to you know, Aretha and Stevie and Motown yeah. and all that. And then Alice Cooper and Grand Funk Railroad and and Iggy and and uh, Bob Seger, all these great Michigan Ted Nugent, you know, rock and rollers. Um, and my parents were very supportive, um, and they were very smart because they said, you know, you can listen to as much Led Zeppelin and the Who and all that stuff as you want to, but you also have to listen to uh, Cole Porter, 
and um, uh, Johnny Mercer mm. and you know Rachmaninoff and Prokofiev and Shostakovich, and I really just love music. And That's how you build a foundation, exactly. You know? yeah. And I did not know it at the time, but it was they were very smart. They knew that good music is good music, and they didn't, even though they didn't understand it, they didn't assume that my music was bad. They just said, "You right. kids today don't right. know what music exactly. is like." Yeah. Exactly. Who knows? You know why is Robert Planet <laughs> singing that way? Um. So they were like, "Okay, go and listen," but please listen to this too. And so now I, uh, you know, with all the music I've gotten to sing, and primarily animation music, but specifically with respect to Animaniacs, it gives me a huge appreciation for incredible lyrics. Because when I listen to Johnny Mercer stuff or or the the Gershwins, uh, I mean, come on. Um, uh, for we know we need each other, so we better call the calling off off. <laughs> Shut the front door, man. That stuff's eighty years old, and yeah. and it's over and over and over again. And talent is talent. So and singing, the best singers are also performing. Yeah. those songs. Yeah, you know, they, the, they're telling the a story. lyrics are are dialogue in essence, exactly and the song right. is a monologue. If you listen to Sinatra, and then oh. people say. Who knew Sinatra would be such a good actor? It's like, well, all you had to do was listen to his music. Of course. He's, he's, well said. You know, he is he's performing the emotional impact of that song in three minutes is as good as a Shakespearean monologue, you, you know? 100% right. And I listen to the Sinatra channel all the time, especially for that reason, because I, like you, I don't want to stop getting better. It's twofold. A, I'd love the challenge. But B, there are new people coming up all the time, and they should light a fire under me. Sure. They should keep me on my toes. And uh, every now and then, somebody like like Adele will come along, who's a generational talent, in my opinion, to go, there's a woman who can tell the story. Yeah. And when I watch some of these incredibly talented, sweet kids on uh, the talent shows on TV, and the first thing out of the shoot they do is all these crazy runs all over the place. And I get it. Because they're inspired by... Um, it's the uh, fashion of the day. Correct. Yeah. But when you listen to Frank Sinatra tell the story, or even Aretha, Aretha can zip all over the place. Man, ain't nobody tells a story like that. No. And Adele is like that. Yes. And, um, and so all of those um, incredibly gifted songwriters, singers, writers, um, as a result of my parents being... Uh, smart enough to not put the kibosh on my uh, interest in popular music of my time. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I think I'm a much better interpreter of that. But boy, oh boy, do I have respect for people that can write lyrics, man. It's a, yeah. that's a- to, to, make, to, to make it rhyme and fit it to music, oh, it's you know, the difficulty degree of 9.7, right? Yeah, yeah. More with Rob tomorrow. We'll finally launch into his incredible career. Of course, me and Eddie Pence will be back doing all the entertainment news. We'll have holiday or holiday. We'll be looking into the world of theme parks. So much good stuff tomorrow. A brand new The Ralph Report for Tuesday. Come on back, because I love you. I mean it. Bye. Bye.